Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. I'm your host, Sultan Ghaznawi, and today we're going to talk about the future of events and what does it mean for our industry. To speak to me about that, I have invited Alex Chernenko, who is the CEO and head of localization at Translit, which is based in Limerick, Ireland. The Ukrainian native is passionate about languages. He used to speak six himself. His professional localization engineering and quality assurance career spanned over a decade before starting his own business. Alex Chernenko identified issues in the language sector and was determined to present the solutions, thereby forming his company. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast, Alex. Thank you for having me, Sultan, and hi to all the listeners. How are you doing today? It's great. It's actually finally spring came to Ireland. We had a very gloomy and delayed spring, but finally there is a, a nice a couple of sunny days. So, you know, the mood is good and everything is is warming up. Well, it's springtime. So anyway, let's get started. Uh, please introduce yourself, Alex, and, and tell us what you do. Uh, I'm the director and founder of Translate. So for the past 11 years, we've been providing uh, translation, interpreting, localization services. I would call it traditional language service provider. And for the past year, we moved into uh, technology space, building our own products, which uh, I could tell uh, maybe a little bit later, but we are in the remote interpretation space and interpreter booking and managing platform. I'm a certified translator interpreter, so I started as a freelancer many years ago, worked for some big companies like Lionbridge before starting my business. Originally, I'm from Ukraine. That's that's uh, where you get uh, hear the accent. But I've been uh, living in Ireland for the past 11 years, uh, 18 years. So uh, how long have you been involved uh, with the industry, with localization industry? And why did you join this industry, Alex? Since since young age, I had a passion for languages. I used to speak six of them, and I would say I started to translate and interpret in, at the age of fourteen. Age uh, of fourteen. Yes, uh, and then I, I learned a couple of languages very quickly. Started freelancing, and then uh, moved into technology space. So my actually official university degree is uh, computer engineering. So I always kind of loved computers, technology and languages. And, you know, combining the, the tech skills with languages, I ended up working as a localization tester, uh, working with software, uh, looking after websites and from that on moving more into interpreting space. But it, it, it started at localization and technology and then transitioned more into interpreting and voice services, which, which I felt I had more more enjoyment. Why did you go to interpreting? Is it because it was more of a, a people's experience? You had to see people as opposed to actually just typing away the whole day? Yeah, well, it's it's gonna. I, I realized at some stage that I don't want to be a, a programmer initially. You know, doing computer engineering, I was I was looking to build websites, but then I realized that coding and sitting by yourself, it's not something I want to do. And I actually enjoyed helping people to understand each other. So having that ability to influence a conversation between two people uh, when they don't understand, and then the interpreter brings that. 
connecting, understanding, and then doing it from two individuals and moving it up to the way where you have world leaders talking to each other, when you have two ministers from two different countries and the interpreter helps them to actually connect. You know, that's what what actually got me moving, what got me inspired. And that's why the the whole company uh, strategy and movement actually went into interpretation space uh, for the last couple of years. We started, as I said, doing everything, but then we focused on the interpreting and everything we do now puts interpreting first. Let's take uh, a look at the macro situation of this industry. Um, where do you say that you are located at this industry right now and, and where it's going? Well, the, the interpreting uh, sector had a huge impact last year when uh, the whole world went onto lockdowns. And uh, you had an, another podcast a couple of months ago uh, covered this topic in some detail. So especially on-site interpreting got halted. And uh, we, we saw many agencies, many providers pretty much losing job for a couple of months. And then uh, some of the companies pivoted into RSI space. We did the same thing. We actually, you know, when our on-site projects got canceled and we, we of course, were devastated. And uh, to be honest, we actually won, uh, we won two tenders just kind of before the pandemic and were excited to see all this work coming in. And then nothing. So what we said, okay, what we what we're gonna do? We 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 decided to build our own product. So we actually built the RSI technology ourselves rather than kind of using third parties. And we did it in a very short space of time. And straight away we see how companies kind of pivoted from on-site to online, and our technology, you know, became pretty much in demand from day one. That's interesting segue to uh, my next question. I want to cover the future of events in this discussion. Please describe the state of events as it stands today. The, the events industry is changing and we, we see we see a lot of kind of positive things a lot, and some negative. Well, the negatives are, of course, that concert, large events and uh, sports, entertainment, all of the all of the big events uh, got stopped to some stage. Some events that managed to transition online, they did it. And we already see uh, already see some sort of uh, level of interaction. Uh, it's it's going to possibly be this way for another couple of months. I don't expect any big events resuming uh, by the end of this year. If like, I really hope that it will happen. But realistically, we, we probably will be looking next year when the large events will come back uh, in European countries, at least. Uh, what I'm speculating that's probably remote will become a part uh, when the offline events will happen, the hybrid state of events or the remote will remain. So every every event that maybe has been uh, fully on site now, even after zooming, I'm expecting that the the events will keep uh, remote component to it. So some of the people that can travel, they can still enjoy the event live without having to watch recorded. So I'm expecting that with the cost of technology coming down for uh, streaming services, for remote simultaneous interpreter, that Events will will can continue being hybrid uh, many years after. Is it safe to say that uh, this year um, we should not raise our hopes and, and imagine most of the events going online or pre- at least a hybrid model? 
uh, hope is is a good word and is a positive <laughs> word. So I I I uh, I really look forward to events coming back. And to be honest with you, there there's three big conferences that have been pushed already three times, which uh, we are going at, and we are one of the sponsors on those events. And they've been pushed already to the very end of this year. So there is still a chance that the offsite will happen. And I personally hope, but the kind of the realistic part of me says that probably it's going to be next thanks to technology in the past few months, but um, it, it's it's the actual physical interaction is what we need. So with that uh, being said, you know, as you mentioned, live events have been better with COVID as part of uh, in the past year or so. How did our industry, in your opinion, react and respond to this? Well, the, 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 the industry uh, went through a couple of changes. And if you look at the service that have, have been conducted last year, and not just interpreting industry was affected, translation as well. Uh, there, w- there was a survey done by uh, European Commission. There were, there were a number of uh, surveys done by NIMS and other big players. And the, the conclusion is that, you know, translation also has been impacted. Uh, 7% of translators have been quitted. 15% were basically stopping or not uh, doing translation for some time. And we see, I mean, think of travel and leisure as the result of lockdowns. All the translation work for the travel industry stuff. Uh, car sales are halting down. So automotive industry is, is stopping. On the other side, we see e-commerce and healthcare and medical, they are booming. Uh, But generally, translation has been impacted uh, more negatively than positively uh, on on this side. And what we also see, localization has been booming, and especially around media localization. So subtitles, machine translation, uh, automated live captioning, uh, transcribing services, those, uh, that sector of, of kind of the event industry that it's connected with translation localization is is really booming and that's probably one of the future trends of event industry and such that uh, the the events moved to online they moved to some pre-recorded but then the subtitling machine translation and ai component will be partially replacing a human interpreter and we see that already uh, with with some of the new tech companies that that get in really good traction at the moment and to your point, uh, it's not just our industry that has uh, experienced this slowdown or, um, you know, the, the, the negative effects of this, this pandemic. Uh, I'm guessing there are many other industries. And as a result of that, uh, there is a reduction in, in the amount of work that's coming in for translation and quite obviously for um, for interpreting as well. Which other industries have been affected, in your opinion, that affected indirectly the translation sector? Well, if you if you look at the translation uh, that that serves all the other industries, like we, we see now boom in e-commerce, we see boom in software development and gaming in particular, and entertainment. So entertainment sections such as Netflix, streaming, uh, all the gaming industry, they're booming. Cryptocurrency is also growing at the moment, uh, while as I said, travel events and automotive are down. So they, they would be the ones that come uh, to my mind. And of course, healthcare medical would be on top of the list. A lot of translation work uh, actually increased a couple of times uh, when, when when the COVID-19 happened and many translators were busy if they were in the healthcare and medical sector. And then you look at pharma, you look at uh, uh, pharmaceutical sector as well. It's It's been on the rise. I can understand that the live um, on-site interpreting sector being hit hard uh, my friend Kevin McGuire has covered this in great detail in a previous episode. What are your thoughts in terms of uh, on-site interpreting sector, where it is today and where it's headed to? 
I believe that uh, many government bodies, so if, if you're looking at who, who are the big buyers for on-site interpreting, it's usually it's usually government bodies. They are the biggest uh, buyers in, in any country, especially around Europe. Uh, in the B2B sector and business meetings, we see, uh, for example, Kudo uh, took over the business meeting side of things. So they, they actually were quite successful uh, with, with kind of targeting the B2B market. And then, if you looked at the and the on-site interpretation, the government uh, we, we've seen actually, you know, taking take an example here in Ireland, uh, th- th- there was a tender that was advertised and phone interpreting. RSI and video interpreter was not even mentioned in the tender documents. You see, for the past many years, it it was it was such a small portion of the interpreter that it wasn't even listed. But now we see that they have to reconsider completely the way they work. That bring an interpreter to the courtroom or the hospital is at the moment considered unsafe. So uh, you know, kind of learning how to work remotely and. Uh, transition into OPI, VRI, we, we saw that already happen in, in the United States. Uh, they were one of the first adopters of OPI, VRI. We saw it happen in, in Australia and Canada, but Europe seems to be a little bit slower to adopt a phone and video remote and RSI. So the, the future in, in the European side of sector, we believe that, you know, the the public state bodies will will buy more, uh, will buy more remote interpreted rather than on-site. And it's it's the percentage will shift, possibly even that more than 50% will be remote and over the phone because it will save time on travel cost uh, and it will be safe and interpreters from all over the world could provide the service, not just 24-7. So, you know, really 24-7 follows the sun approach, saving time and money and remote is to stay, whether it's consecutive or simultaneous, it doesn't matter. But we're going to see more of that. Where do we stand with regards to technology to enable uh, interpreting online? I know there are lots of platforms. You referenced a couple of them already. And uh, do you expect more um, crowded space in, in this area? Or do you think that it will be dominated by only a couple of brands? Well, as with, uh, as with possibly any new technology, when there is a demand, uh, there will be new players coming up. And then there will be maybe three to five who would take the lead and, and dominate the market. Uh, last year, actually, at the end of last year, there was a really good uh, research done by Common Sense Advisory. They took all the RSI technologies that were available at the day, and there were 19 already. So at the end of 2020, there were already 19 uh, kind of known RSI service providers. If you look at the moment, this number is going to 28. And we probably may see a couple of more. So, you know, it's, you know that the number of RSI providers doubled in size uh, since kind of middle of 2020 to, to right now where we are at the moment. And after that, they will probably go through some sales process. They will go through the changes. And then we're going to see three to five who will probably survive and the rest will maybe Keep in business, we're going to see something, maybe we're going to maybe see a couple of acquisitions, we're going to see maybe a couple of changes, but uh, RSI providers, there is no ISO certified RSI providers as of today uh, that, that I'm aware of. Uh, and, you know, we're probably going to see one or two getting ISO certification, improving their uh, interpreter booth, virtual console, and those who who be the first probably will take the lead. Just to put things into perspective, besides interpreting, which saw a major shift going from on-site to online, 
what other sectors were affected and how you mentioned about the uh, translation earlier but did you notice similar changes and and other language sectors like uh, desktop publishing for example or uh, content that was intended for print did you notice any of those changes at all yeah, I, well i think that the print content is uh, is declining and that decline is is steady maybe even now uh, it, it's 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 more sharper than it used before i mean the, the print industry is 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 dying what we can see uh, i mean the, people still read the books but everything else periodicals advertisement has moved online so in terms of dtp we see we don't see much changes the dtp for the uh, for the print transition to kind of online and pdfs so the, the about the same uh, volume of work but when it comes to media localization, that's the that's the area that is changing rapidly, and we're gonna see more of that, especially now with the streaming um, increasing. So we we, we there, there, you know we actually looked at at uh, at streaming today with the team, and then we had a, a, a meeting with a potential client who is looking to stream uh, services for gaming industry, and there is there is no out of the box solution that allows streaming. Uh, in multiple languages, you know, it has to sit on top. There is no, there are no integrations done yet. So it's really an open Pandora box for, for, for the interpreting edition. That's something what Translate is already getting hands on. So you know, we we are we are not just we don't want just to stay at the RSI level. So our plans is to integrate RSI with booking and scheduling systems. So when you look, there is there is still no marketplace for interpreting industry. There is marketplace for graphics designers, there's marketplaces for translators. There is still no marketplace for interpreters that's available publicly. Uh, so Translate launched the marketplace uh, a year and a half ago, and we already have uh, 2,600 users in it. So the next step would be how to kind of, how to take the marketplace and connect it with technology with the streaming services, with the on-demand services, and and making a complete X system, and that's probably what's going to happen, you know. And we're already working on that, uh, and I believe that we're going to see a market, a couple of marketplaces spinning up. I know Kudo announced that they are also launching marketplace. We haven't seen it yet, but they're announcing. Uh, so we're going to see interpreters marketplaces. We're going to see more artificial intelligence. Uh, working for media localization and we're going to see on demand rising uh, so my my ambitious goal uh, for next year is to actually build an uber for interpreters you know it's like when you can just pick up a phone and book interpreter without having to go through any agency uh, and or or have the agency uh, connected on the other side with one of their sub interpreters you know but that that's what that's what will come it's just a matter of time that's that's interesting to hear. Now, um, Alex, uh, let's circle back to events. Uh, speaking of how they are executed today in, in prison, uh, what's their situation? Uh, I know that some countries have allowed limited number of gatherings and so forth. Do you see live events happening in Europe anytime soon? You mentioned that at least for another year we should stay tight. Well, we see we see Germany expecting events. Uh, well, the, the initial forecast was June, July. Now we we see events moved to September in Germany. Uh, if we're talking to London, UK, it's a hope that something's going to happen in October. When we're looking at uh, uh, United States, we we see some events booked uh, also towards the end of the year. So they're gonna the hope is to, uh, starting from September and up. That's gonna the, the optimistic forecast. Let's let's put it this way, uh, but uh, most likely it might be 
next year, possibly possibly February or March. Uh, we, we may still see lockdowns in January. So, so optimistic forecasts starting from September uh, onwards. But events have already picked up in Russia, and Russia at the moment becomes a touristic destination, not just for for leisure, but also for businesses. So some of the events that have actually happened off-site in English-speaking world, they're using Russia now as a base to do an English-speaking event because it's open and there is no restrictions. You can you can host a conference at the moment in Russia. So we probably uh, will see those conferences who were booked in Europe but didn't happen. They actually may run a conference in Russia, and it's just surprising. But that, that's that's what what is happening right now. If these events are opening up, um, people are still in the mindset of this this pandemic. They are dealing with uh, all kinds of isolation issues and masks and so forth. Are the participants, the attendees, ready to go into these events? I think attendees uh, got used to 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 doing the online online events. Uh, at the moment, so kind of you know, so we, as I said, some people will become maybe so lazy that they will continue attending events online. But I really believe human crave the interaction, and they really look forward. And maybe the eastern side, the eastern European uh, residents, they're less less scared of the virus. Maybe uh, from my personal kind of because I'm originally from Eastern Europe, but I lived in in Western Europe for 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 half of my life. I lived half of my life in, in one Europe and half of my life in another. And I, so I can feel the both moods. But my uh, my view on it is that Eastern Europe is, uh, they're, they're less likely to follow the guidelines and restrictions, while the Western Europe are more obeying the rules. So, so taking the example in Russia, now Russia already had a couple of big conference and events, and they happened uh, offline and the war, some level of kind of distancing, the war, some level of restrictions, but it wasn't hard. Uh, having now Europeans travel there and enjoy, it's something that they would do from a, from a human uh, point of view, but whether they will be open to that, we don't know. It's, you know, it, it has to possibly uh, be, you know, uh, each person makes the, their own decision whether uh, and taking all the safety risks into consideration. Just curious, Alex, uh, I'm going to ask you, how do event managers or organizers uh, assess the current situation with conferences and trade shows that were all canceled or some of them even moved online? We, we talk to event managers uh, every day because we, we sell RSI technology to them. And what we hear at the moment is that they just keep postponing the events. I mean, some of the events that happen online it's okay, but uh, when we're talking about uh, on-site events, they just keep moving. And of course, event managers uh, par- possibly are stressing out at this stage because especially if, if there is tickets in place, if they have to organize the speakers, the travel, the accommodation, and it's been already moved three times, we can only, uh, you know, we can only send positive vibes to them because they're doing possibly one of the most stressful jobs at the moment, having to reschedule a number of times. Live events can include, as you said, concerts, weddings, celebrations, and all kinds of massive gatherings. But what is relevant to our industry's conferences uh, and trade shows or corporate meetings? There is a big number that are canceled. How is our industry reacting? Is that just lost business for all of us? Yeah, and you know, uh, uh, from from the podcast uh, 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 that you mentioned with Kevin, I mean, uh, there has there were even some refunds. You know, so the interpreting industry that had booked or prepaid uh, events and they didn't go ahead. 
uh, that had to be refunded. Uh, so it's not just about even losing potential business, it's also losing the business that has been paid already. And we've seen that happening with language service providers. I mean, as I mentioned before, we we, we won two government tenders and that work didn't happen. And then we had a couple of recurrent clients for interpret that didn't happen. But on the other side of things, we, we pivoted and transition to RSI, and that was completely new revenue. Another thing that we did at Translate, uh, when our sales and our interpreters had nothing to do in March, we looked at the courses and training, and we actually organized a couple of events training uh, our own interpreters, you know, so using this this time not just to watch kind of Netflix and TV, but actually educate ourselves and our staff. And we've seen such a huge demand that we actually started a training division and since since April last year, we've seen over 3,000 students taking our courses. So you know, again, this was another pivot that uh, we did. And and I think I think many interpreters and translators, when they had nothing to do, they started looking at courses. They started looking at ways to upskill themselves. And luckily for us, it became an, a new revenue stream. So you know, on site was down, but then we set it up RSI technology and we started training division two months ago we got cpd accreditation uh, and uh, on the 26th of may we actually organized our first interpreting conference dedicated to train interpreters to help them overcome this period to get them ready to upskill them and i think you know it's uh, uh, my advice to uh, everyone who has free time and and are out of work either consider to get in new skills so that those people can get a new job or come up with with something new that's that's the only way to kind of uh, survive in crisis i believe now let's talk about the the future uh, where do we go from here what will you see in the next 12 months you mentioned that certain countries will open up and so forth but do you see any change in the nature of the work being done in terms of interpreting um, whether even on-site events will require on-site interpreting or we can accommodate that with technology just give me a picture of what the next 12 months will look like in terms of in terms of uh, moving moving things back uh, it's going to be a slow and gradual process we're going to see probably some countries opening up uh, sooner uh, some countries will possibly delay uh, in terms of interpreting industry uh, the, the, uh, I, I would say interpreters will work more remotely than they used to be before and especially now with new technology and tools and learning this uh, remote work skills interpreters would actually realize that coming in for one hour assignment the way they did before spending one hour to get to a place doing one hour of work coming back that's three hours of work while they were getting paid for one hour now they can just connect jump off a call and that's it there is no travel they can do it. so interpreters actually will, will continue enjoying working remotely and that will be saving for the clients because they don't need to bring interpreters on site so i think even after coming back on-site interpreter will not resume the way it was before and especially now with the technology getting so good in terms of audio quality connectivity many businesses public sector will also uh, move to some sort of remote and online so that's kind of one way of, uh, of of future of what i'm expecting in the next 12 months it's going to come back slowly but remote will stay in terms of events uh, i believe hybrid will stay so there will be still portion of people who don't want to travel uh, who can't travel for whatever reason and they will just enjoy the event remotely and it will be an additional revenue for the organizers they can they can have more 
audience than they could fit in a, in a room before. It was like 500 only attendees. But by that event, moving online or doing hybrid, they tripled their audience size. So, you know, it's actually doing hybrid uh, it is it, more beneficial for the organizers. They, they have a wider reach. So that will stay. And a third trend, which which is from the interpreters, uh, interpreter side, we see now uh, hubs being kind of spun up in, in Europe uh, and uh, interpreters are getting together to work from hubs rather than working from home. And I think the trend will continue when the lockdowns will be over. Because not every interpreter has good environment at home, uh, which is noise-free, which is good internet. And hubs is a way for them to mingle with their peers, mingle with their colleagues, network, share whatever personal things, emotions, have a break together. Uh, so so we're probably going to see more interpreters' hubs open up in big cities uh, where interpreters could just work. So think of it as a, uh, it's like a co-working space but for interpreters i believe we're going to see more of that coming in the next you know kind of within 12 months is going to start but that trend will continue alex another thing that we normally don't pay attention to is that whenever a change happens it always have uh, cascading effects on, on many other things uh, so with uh, most of the business events uh, or business meetings going virtual, the documentation that was needed before to be signed have also gone virtual. So we see a lot more uh, e-signatures, you know, documents moving uh, from people to people and beings. How do those um, those changes um, present opportunities for us to adapt, uh, whether it's translation, interpreting? What can we do with those uh, those new areas of business that we haven't thought of. In terms of e-signatures, I'm not sure what what can be done from for translation industry, but I mean events that happened uh, on on site before and in a printed format are now moving into transcribing. Uh, so that the if there if there is a need to translate uh, minutes, it's easier to do it also with the pre-recorded event. So we see now uh, a request for pre-recorded events uh, that are streamed. We also see an opportunity to uh, to actually uh, create subtitles, transcribe, or even do voiceovers of the of the meetings and of the events. So you know, kind of one thing led to another, and I think more media localization will will continue. Uh, we also see huge demand now from uh, film industry and movies. That a lot of companies are now realizing that they need to have their movie translated. So on, not only just businesses, but kind of for entertainment side of things. For translation, I actually have. Uh, kind of a negative forecast and it's already been talked talk uh, by uh, uh, Nimzi and, and common sense advice the translation rates are going down because it's now oversaturated we see more translators than there is a demand so the demand That's for true. local uh, so we're going to continue the trend many many interpreters who who lost on-site job they started doing written translation so the pandemic actually increased the number of translators and because of that, the competition increased and the price decreased. And and with the artificial intelligence, with the uh, machine translation, we're going to see translation rate going down. So that's it's it's inevitable essentially that's that's the way the market goes so i, I that's and that's that's why kind of translate is not focusing on translation we put interpreter first because we believe that you know there is still um, many years before computers will be able to kind of uh, replace ourselves in that regard uh, so interpreting is 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 on the on the rise while translation is uh, on 
on the downside. So I think that uh, uh, you, you're right. Uh, the translation industry will experience the ripple effects of um, machine learning and AI coming in and, and producing the output that before a translator used to do that. And I think there is a, a, some degree of uh, adaptation required uh, by, by the translation community to, um, to become more of um, supervisors of these machines. Um, so the more machines get good at converting uh, words from one language to another in a culturally appropriate format uh, textually, I think um, turning that text into speech is just a matter of an algorithm. Wouldn't, in your opinion, that affect uh, the interpreting industry as well? Because now it will become a lot easier to, um, uh, to have a verbal communication from one language to another using the same algorithms that are putting inter- uh, translators out of work? Naturally, yes. It, it will be done with, uh, with a delay. Uh, and I'm exp- uh, we already see, for example, uh, transcribing services, uh, automatic subtitling, and even automated interpreting happening already with some, uh, for example, like podcasts like this one that, that has good audio quality would be quite easy uh, to be done by machine translation and speech-to-text and text-to-speech conversion. When it comes into noise environment, the systems are not there yet. And, you know, it doesn't matter how good is the algorithm. When there is a noise environment, there is multiple people talking at the same time. A uh, computer won't be able to handle it and uh, to the level of accuracy required. But for podcasts, for streamers, for kind of mono-voice type uh, events, we already see that happening that, you know, some of the clients who have been buying subtitling, transcribing services and translating are now using completely machine translation, uh, speech to text, then automated translation, and then even narration. And we see some of the business already utilizing the power of machine translation, speech to text, and that trend will only continue. But for legal, for medical, and uh, uh, business meetings, we don't expect that uh, machine tr- machine in- interpreting will be there yet. So it's it's going to be years after the the translation is is somehow affected. That that's the expectations. But again, the industry could uh, could move faster. Uh, we if you remember when Google Translate were there, uh, some some people were already saying that uh, we'll be out of work in two years. And we're it's what seven years since then, and there's still translation work. It's it's now reducing, but it's still there. I also find it quite interesting because the same technology that uh, is supposed to be replacing. Uh, human translators, uh, now it's coming into the confluence with the interpreting industry. So um, same technology is affecting both verbal and text type of language conversion, if you will. I I find this discussion very fascinating because I'm involved deeply with um, with business applications related to artificial intelligence, and I believe that we should welcome that as opposed to um, uh, showing resistance because at some point it will become mainstream and and we have to be... um, comfortable with using them and promoting them. So it's a good time, as you said, uh, for us to reflect and and figure out and retool ourselves. Let's go back to events. I think our industry will have to adapt to a new format of on-site events, whether it would be vaccination for interpreters, using masks, um, etc. What does that mean for our stakeholders? Should they budget more? Uh, Should they expect more uh, challenges and complexity and in, in implementing events? I actually believe that uh, the cost to run events are going down. 
And that's that's what RSI has already been proven. I mean, the classical event that would require, let's say, 500 headsets, uh, infrared receivers, transmitters, uh, project managers, uh, technicians running on site now could be replaced by just one person, uh, you know, a laptop, a microphone and a webcam with RSI. So as long as the event could organize good Internet and the attendees have their mobile device and a headphone, they would experience it using very small traffic, good audio quality, using own device, own pair of headphones, which is safe. Uh, uh, it's good hygiene, you know, and there is no need for that expensive, bulky equipment and technicians on site. So actually, event organizers are, are saving time and money and setup costs by using RSI. Uh, so if our RSI is 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 overcoming the kind of the Wi-Fi on the internet side of things, that's 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 all what needs to happen. And I believe that that's what that the trend is going to continue this way. And even events that would have uh, speakers and audiovisual staff on site, they would still be, be combining with the hybrid. So I think event 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 managers are actually have now more opportunities and options that they didn't have before or they were not aware that they have them before. I mean, RSI has been there for the last two years, but it's only picked up well in 2020. Do you think that uh, there will be a lot more technology consolidation in order to make that type of an environment possible for live events? Uh, for example, not there's not a single company that can provide multiple uh, solutions, uh, pretty much all languages. Do you see that there might be uh, consolidation between language providers versus platform providers, uh, as well as uh, all the other stakeholders that need to make that type of a solution possible? Uh, we, we definitely will see some mergers and acquisition. I mean, what happened, for example, with double, uh, RWS and the SDL Trada's acquisition, we see some big players joining forces. Now, if we look at interpreting side of things, it's more diverse. So, for example, you know, the, the kind of the Lion Bridge or AWS, they're focused on an enterprise solution and we see some uh, big deals happen. When it comes to interpreting, there is more, the, 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 the kind of the market is more diverse. There are more players. And in order for consolidation, many players have to come, come together. So we see now part of the industry that's, you know, providing interpreters. Uh, and there, there is, uh, you know, there are like powers that the big companies that ho that hold many uh, contacts of interpreters, and that's one angle. Then we see technology like Kudo, Buslingo, Interprefy, and then Translate coming into play. So we already see this RSI and uh, OPI VRI providers. Uh, you know, and they already have also some some kind of technology power and some human power. And now we see completely different angle, which is media localization. It's transcribing, subtitling, uh, AI machine translation, and it's supporting the kind of the video uh, and the video and voice services. And they would they would be completely different to classical SP model. They're more SaaS companies, and they would be you know in in in, in their own kind of subsector. So in order to see consolidation across these uh, different moving parts, I don't see that happening. So we, we're probably going to see this diverse with, with some companies doing niche type kind of interpreting or language services. We're probably going to see that for, for many years before uh, one company huge could come in and say, hey, guys, we're going to just go buy you or it's, it's going to take money and time for a large consolidation. I, I don't see it, to be honest with you, in, in near future. What does um, the changes in the industry mean for the interpreters? They value their health, of course, but they also have to work. So 
uh, as you mentioned now there are these interpreting hubs becoming popular in Europe um, versus people going into on-site events so what does it mean how their lifestyle will change with uh, with all these technological and and cultural changes that are, changes that are happening in this sector of business interpreters are uh, adversely affected by working alone and from home and, and we 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 know it by talking to our interpreters by uh, going to different uh, communities forums and events it's 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 an ongoing conversation at the moment the mental health of interpreter and that's that's one of the reason why we started training uh, division. It's not just focusing on mm, kind of technical skills. It's also focusing on self-awareness and how to cope with such things. And we actually see a, a very positive responses uh, of, of of people doing this more kind of psychological and, and awareness training courses. So uh, interpreters need to socialize. And there is two options now. I said there is this opportunity for these hubs, but it's not available in every city. What uh, we also see now is that RSI providers are actually adding webcam supports. For example, up until now, Zoom didn't allow um, web cameras between interpreters. So interpreters in, in many cases don't even see each other. They work with a partner, but they don't see each other because not every RSI provider supports webcam. So we see now even some new technologies coming that are not RSI, but they are kind of complementing RSI with uh, like a small networking or, or collaboration tool where you can chat and see your partner. You know, we've, we've, see, we've seen just a new two new uh, websites were created by interpreters so they could see and, and chat with, with, with their partner while working in another RSI tool that doesn't have webcam and chat. So we, we're going to see more of the technology is now kind of connecting not just uh, attendees, but also connecting interpreters with interpreters, and uh, that if if that happens, you know the interpreters will be more happy. They would they would feel kind of part of something and not being single players. You, you're right because working in silos or on your own, uh, it it can be become very depressing at times, and and it, it has its effects on on your health, mental health, and so forth. So speaking of which, what will be the role of uh, technology in the future in terms of making sure that people um, don't lose that human touch, but at the same time leverage uh, the amount of automation and the amount of uh, uh, resource access uh, that that technology or internet enables us to to have? Yeah, and I I, I think v- VRI will be really jumping forward in this regard so at the moment the uh, the, the RSI that is audio only mode uh, is, is, is a hot topic but if the RSI gets an additional with the webcam that's what interpreters are always asking we want to see the partner that's the feedback uh, about many RSI tools that don't have it uh, but then the VRI that allowing the the kind of the speakers or the attendees, whether it's a business meeting or a conference, they see the speaker and they hear the audio. But we're probably gonna see interpreters now uh, showing up their video. And I mean that that's 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 something that hasn't been done uh, for for streaming services and events. That interpreters have always been in the background. But my speculation on this is that interpreters will come up a little bit more forward. Uh, so the VRI will 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 be actually. Uh, more popular than OPI, than over-the-phone interpreter. And once the internet is no longer an issue, the web camera speed is no longer an issue, traffic is no longer an issue with 5G, with new technologies, we're going to see more 
businesses, more meetings using video interpreting as the primary interpreter. That I'm not sure if it's going to be 12 months forecast. It's probably a bit longer than that. But the VRI will will be on top of the interpreting. Uh, at least that's that's my personal uh, kind of opinion or forecast, if you want to say it that way. So Alex, uh, with that in mind, uh, you mentioned earlier that. Uh, now there's possibilities of um, basically using a, just a single terminal to connect to an interpreting uh, solutions provider and, and people can use their own headsets or their Bluetooth devices to, to hear uh, interpreting performed in real time uh, through some platform, maybe in a different country, completely a different time zone or continent altogether. Uh, do you see a scenario where hybrid events would some participants being on site and a big number attending online at the same event come together using these type of technologies? Yeah, I've, I'm a big fan of uh, events and conferences and I, I enjoyed their uh, off-site events. And then when when everything moved online, it was, a you know, my personal experience was that I tried Remo, I tried all these new fancy platforms that have level of networking level of interactions and there is now even kind of 3d con 3d conference there is uh 3d visualizations uh etc uh, etc et like i still don't see where people would prefer remote over on site i mean it's it's like it's, think of it as a gamification uh once the events will add a gaming component and it will become more interactive more fun more networking that's the way to go. So I I don't I haven't seen conferences using it that much. I mean, they tried. There's a couple of new platforms who are getting their heads on it, but it's not there yet. I believe you know the the company that organize or the the SaaS provider that will get the gaming uh, the gamification of a conference right will be really rich, and that's that's you know to all those. Uh, kind of networking platforms that are out there just start adding gamification that's how that's how the the, the remote side of things will become more fun we we're not seeing it yet it hasn't been done to a good level so i i still believe people people are enjoying more on site but once the gamification of the r- online and remote format gets better some people will say actually it's fun to be online you know i i can stay at home and just interact with people remotely but it's not there yet does that mean that there's still room for more technologies to be developed to fill that gap yes absolutely and what we see now is younger people are joining the online side of things so the kind of the the older generation prefers networking prefers the handshaking prefers you know maybe doing business by the bar (laughs) what we've seen in the past but the younger generations are completely used to online and streaming and you know they are they are they they're the industry that will be hooked by the gamification. So if the conferences uh, happen in online, probably we'll see more younger generation that would prefer to stay online or in remote, and the kind of the old school or or the the you know maybe forty plus will prefer to meet in person remote. That's probably we're going to see that now the age demographic split. And I don't want to be, you know, in any way to insult anyone. It's just, it's just what, 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 the, what the statistics show about that the younger people, even if they have opportunity to meet offline, they, they're, they're staying online. It's just the, the reality of, of 21st century. So we probably see that the demographic split of online preference versus on-site preference. Let's look at, um, at your crystal ball and predict how things will be in the next five years. Uh, what do you think? 
Well, the expect uh, one of the huge forecasts for the interpreting side of things is going to be a marketplace. I, I I really believe that what we've seen with the food takeaway delivery with the taxi service, we're going to see that with interpreting. There will be one, two, three providers who will who will basically get the app and you just press the button and somebody connects on the other side and you know a person doesn't need to worry about the logistics about the complexity so it just happens so we don't have that solution yet so there will be somebody who will do it and you know we have I, I'm, I'm honestly we have ambition of becoming that uh, that company who will who will be that uh, provider of this mobile app uh, so marketplace for interpreting then we're gonna see more of uh, machine translation for for videos. So we're going to see less voiceovers, less subtitles transcription, and that part actually being replaced by speech-to-text and machine translation in the next five years are getting so good that just a little post-editing will be required. And there are already uh, two or three companies that, that have nailed this to, to quite a good, good level. We also see now an interesting trend of uh, consolidating uh, translation memories. There is now a big consortium of coming up together, considering doing a free a free bulk of translation memories and just open it up to the world. So I, I think actually the, the translation world will become more sharing. Uh, we, we're just going to see more of those uh, corpuses of translation uh, that just been shared with everybody. So now companies that have their own translation memories, that they're holding on to them, but that there are already some that are open to public and expectation next five years that possibly many translation members will become public that way others can share them and and reuse them so we're probably gonna some sort of democratizing the translation memory assets that have been accumulated i'm expecting that if, if people will share they will benefit more and it will help the industry and the quality so kind of marketplaces sharing translation memories and getting ai to a level where it's going to be more used uh, and and much better quality to be to be replacing some of some of the work we do at the moment. I I agree with you, Alex, and I, I'm a big proponent of open source. I think uh, our industry lags behind in open source and and sharing uh, uh, innovation. Um, and and I think the time is ripe that we do that. Um, I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of money to generate those translations, but if they were to share that into a pool um, that they can use themselves with other people's uh, translation in that same pool, it will save them money down the road. So that that uh, value proposition or that cost-benefit analysis is not done properly in our industry. And to your point, uh, there will be a lot of changes. There will be democratization. And, and your five years um, analysis or estimation Kind of shows us that uh, we will be moving along with uh, what technology brings us. So, uh, just to um, as we are wrapping up this this conversation, for our colleagues who are involved in and depend on on-site events, what are your suggestions and advice? What should they be doing? Well, trying remote simultaneous interpreting, and if they if they stopped on-site and they haven't haven't done online yet it's 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 a way to go i mean uh, of course there are some events that uh, maybe are impossible to be doing online but event organizers who are stuck at the moment should pivot should find ways to 
continue working with their attendees, with their contacts, with their subscribers to do something for them in a remote environment. I mean, it's 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 a responsibility to to keep your audience feeded regularly with valuable content. And if event organizers hadn't figured out yet, they just need to talk to somebody who have and learn. So my advice would be that, you know, don't sit and wait for things to resume. Uh, go online now or, and try new things to, to keep connected with the audience. Otherwise, they will go to other events <laughs> who are doing things online. Uh, Absolutely. And, and try new technologies. I mean, try subtitle and trans- trans- transcribe and try add more listeners to your events by adding multilingual component. There, there, there are some good events that could 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 get additional thirty percent of of listeners just by uh, adding one language. You know, and that's something that event organizers haven't think of now. You know, they're doing events and there are people coming from a particular country speaking a particular language, and they didn't even assume that if I can actually add. Arabic to my conference, I could add additional European language, and suddenly they doubled the size of their audience. So, so you know, expanding to a wider audience, trying new technology, and thinking of adding uh, localization and interpreting to to their space by growing, and this this will allow to grow their listeners and possibly results of their sales, of course. Uh, Alex, I I would be able to talk to you for another hour on this topic, but uh, sadly our time is uh, coming to close. So uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you to discuss the above or anything else we have uh, today, um, you know, discussed, how do they do that? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, well, you could uh, search me on LinkedIn, Alex Chernenko, and also visit our websites, translate.com translate.ie uh, I'm, I'm usually approachable in social media I'm not a big fan of Twitter but uh, LinkedIn I'm always open to new connections and I'll, I'd be happy to uh, d- discuss this topic or the topic of, of interpreting we could be talking for hours as you said thank you for speaking with me today Alex uh, I really really enjoyed talking to you your experiences and your perspectives are very interesting to me and I'm sure to all our listeners I'm sure um, people listening to us have been able to pick uh, a few things or at least one thing that they can apply to their business uh, I hope we can do this again at some point so please keep that in mind and uh, again thank you for your time Sultan thank you for having me and I hope that we're gonna meet uh, on one day face to face on an on-site event that's that's the uh, that's the hope <laughs> I'm looking forward to that can't wait for it <laughs>
He talked about how interpreting and the nature of events will be changing going forward, confirming what Kevin McQuarr eloquently covered in one of our previous episodes. I think Alex has a very unique perspective and we should pause and think about his analysis and perhaps look at how to pivot as enterprises and as an industry. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your platform of choice. Give us a thumbs up or a five-star rating. It means a lot for this show and keep your feedback and constructive criticism coming. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.